Hi, everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change, the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we provide thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you, because if you're on this call, you probably are a wholesale change agent. I want to welcome in my business partner, the co-owner and co-founder of Distribution Strategy Group, the doctor of distribution, the antidote to analysis paralysis, our managing partner who keeps everything on the rails in our company, Jonathan Bine, PhD. How you doing, my friend? Thank you. And that's maybe one of the longest subordinate clauses anybody's ever made, but thank you. <laughs> you do talk like an academic. Built in charge, Your Honor. <laughs> All right. And we have a special guest today. I'm delighted to introduce Benj Cohen, who is the founder and CEO of Proton AI. Benj, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. How are you today? And uh, give us a highlight of what you guys do at Proton AI. Good. Yeah. Thank you both for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so a little bit about me, my background, I grew up in distribution, family business, um, is a dental distributor, grew up traveling, you know, office to office with my dad for as long as I can remember. Um, growing up in the space, I noticed sort of a number of issues with um, our go-to-market strategy, which we're going to get into today a little bit through the lens of Amazon. Um, but it felt like there was an opportunity to leverage the tons of customer data that we had um, to better enable our, enable our sales force. Um, e-commerce um, engine marketing um, with sort of AI-powered insights. Um, so started Proton to help uh, help distributors, you know, use AI to, to grow sales. Fantastic. Good. Yeah, so you've really grown up in the distribution world, right? Definitely, um, yeah. which has been a lot of fun. Yeah, you combine that with an MIT education, and you've got some interesting solutions for distributors, right? Well, well except that he didn't go to MIT. Oh, I thought you went to Harvard. Was I it? wish. I, I wish. I wish I went to NYT. That's where all the, the real smart people go. Where did you go? Oh, I went to Harvard. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, sorry. That's even an upgrade from MIT. I think in the minds of most people. So, you know. No way for math. Oh my God. MIT. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> Nonetheless, we're gl glad to have a Harvard guy on here. I actually secretly don't like MIT, so I'm really glad. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm uh, uh, so sorry to misname your your uh, your school, but uh, we are delighted to have you here. And uh, uh, so we've got a let's see, a Harvard grad, a PhD. So I'm the dumb one on this call. So I'll try to keep that in mind and not say too much. Um, let me jump ahead here and let's get into Amazon business now. Uh, this company is growing rapidly. It, 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 it's it's funny because nobody knows how big this is who's not part of Amazon because they are not required to disclose the sales or performance of Amazon business because the triggering requirement for the Securities and Exchange Commission is that a subsidiary has to be 10% of sales profits or assets in order to require a company to disclose their performance. So you've got, you know, a $500 million publicly held distributor who's got to disclose a $50 million subsidiary. You've got Amazon who doesn't have to disclose what could be a $30 billion subsidiary today because of the disclosure requirements, which really weren't meant for companies of this size, right? So everybody's speculating on their performance. Uh, but you're, are these numbers from Royal Bank of Canada or you know what, what do you see as the growth rate of Amazon, Benj? Yeah, these are the RBC numbers. Okay. Um, and again, yeah, not, as you said, it's, it's hard to sort of pinpoint exactly how big Amazon business is, but we do know that it's growing really, really rapidly. Um, and at least in my mind, really the, what we should be talking about is, is not like being scared of the Amazon business as much as really like learning from what, what is Amazon doing really well and how can distributors, you know, take that and, and, um, and leverage it in their own business. So the RBC is projecting what? Uh, well, the RBC, RBC numbers are projecting like growth, I think, up to, you know, almost 30 billion this year in sales, um, 34 billion the following year, all the way up to like 50 billion um, in 2023. Um, yeah. So no matter no matter how you slice it, Amazon business is going to be a substantial player in distribution. Now, of course, that's not in one market. So it's not just like industrial MRO is, mm -hmm. is, is all of that, but um there's, there's certainly going to be a major player in, in a lot of lines of trade. You know, Applic Applico at Applico Inc., um, they project Amazon business will be over $70 billion by 2023. So 
I mean, really, you know, I think if that number comes true, they're going to have to disclose potentially. However, this is gross merchandise volume uh, forecast, right? And they only on an accrual basis, look at their commissions as revenue. So even if they are, I guess they won't have to disclose, right? They won't have to disclose uh, Amazon business's performance until that commission revenue, which is a lot smaller than gross merchandise volume, because they have a lot of third-party sellers. So a whole bunch of stuff sells through their platform that, you know, they sell and they book the 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 sale, but they only book their commission, their 12% or 15% or their advertising dollars as the revenue. So they actually report it as a much smaller division than its gross merchandise sales actually represent. So my guess is they're not going to disclose the or have to disclose Amazon business's performance for a long time. Here's an astounding Yeah, I think you're right. Hey Jonathan, we can barely hear you. Can you talk louder or can you hear me now? That's a lot better. Yeah, it's okay. closer to the better. Um, so here's an astounding thought. If we look at the durable goods distributors, the largest, at least in North America, would probably be uh, Sonopar or maybe Ferguson in the 25 to $30 billion range. So you know, within the next couple of years, Amazon will dwarf those numbers and will start to move into numbers that look like almost more like the, the large pharmaceutical companies, you know, McKesson, Amerisource Bergen. I mean, that, that is within sight for Amazon, and it's just astounding how large they are. Yeah, and that's particularly unusual because Amazon business is a merchant wholesaler, meaning they sell to users who consume their products, and the pharmaceutical and food distributors are selling to someone who's reselling their products. So those are typically the much larger mm -hmm. distributors, but they're also lower margin. So you know, you're talking about not only this extraordinarily large, but also extraordinarily profitable mm -hmm. distributor. Okay, Ben, you're going to give us some secrets about how uh, Amazon uses AI to grow its sales, correct? Yeah, yeah. So there are sort of, in our mind, there are three secrets um, that Amazon has uh, in terms of using AI to grow sales. The first one is um, AI-powered product recommendations. So when you go on Amazon and you see sort of customers also bought all the recommendations, you know, on the homepage, on the product pages, on the checkout pages, it turns out that these recommendations drive you know, about 35% of Amazon's um, sort of B2C revenue. And so that represents like basically a $50 billion um, AI uh, opportunity um, within Amazon. Um, so it's substantial. Um, and you, and you, see, you see the the value of having product recommendations um, on the site in, in other ways. You know, people spend more time surfing on Amazon than they do other retailers. So seven and a half minutes on Amazon versus five minutes on Target, as an example. Um, and so these recommendations really just engage folks um, and help people find what they need. Um, and it makes sense that, you know, you, Amazon, of course, needs this because um, they have so many products on the site. Um, AI helps customers actually find what they need um, uh, on the site. And so what I think is, um, yeah, so that's sort of the, the sort of product recommendation engine, the biggest AI secret uh, for Amazon. Yeah, so the way this manifests itself is when you log in, they tell you things you might be interested in, right? And, and yeah, it so, sounds really simple. Yeah, but there's underlying that there's a whole bunch of data, and then there are AI algorithms. How, can you give us the layman's version, the non-Harvard version of how that works? Yeah, sure. Um, what, what Amazon's doing is they're collecting tons of information about you, uh, both your transaction data and also um, what you're browsing for, what you're searching for. And they're using that to figure out what um, sort of what your underlying preferences are, like what you actually want to buy. Um, and then they're servicing that um, depending on where you are in the site. Um, and so what's in my mind so cool about that is everyone who searches on Amazon or you know browses on Amazon, even if you don't buy, you're helping make the Amazon experience better for everyone else on Amazon. Um, which is kind of amazing and sort of unusual in terms of um, an e-commerce engine, right? Like most times when you go on a website and browse, like that's your experience only and you're not influencing anyone else's experience. Um, but, but basically they're capturing a bunch of data, using that to figure out what your preferences are um, and then personalizing the experience um, sort of everywhere on the site. So it's not just your data, it's other users' data who they deem to be lookalikes or people who will have your kinds of demographics or tastes? 
Exactly. And there's tons of data about you. They know where you live. They know kind of your demographic information, your browsing history. They've they got cookies looking at, I know, right? <laughs> um, um, they've got cookies tracking you and other sites as well. So it's, they've got a lot of information about uh, your preferences. All right. So, the, so talk about that for a second for people who aren't aware of how cookies work, because it's not just the data that they get when you're surfing on Amazon that they apply to their product suggestions and their general wealth of information about you. They're looking at information that they gather when you're surfing on other sites and probably not just merchandise sites, right? Probably social sites and, and, and news sites, et cetera. Can you give us a thumbnail of how that works? Yeah. So, I mean, in the same way that sort of Google and Facebook track you across sites, Amazon also has a huge ad network. Um, and so on other sites where there's Amazon ads, they're tracking you and, and kind of seeing what, what pages you're, you're looking at. And so the cookies as just a sort of a technical point is just like a little thing that tags along to you as you browse across sites. Um, and so uh, that's how they're sort of tracing what you're looking at. So exactly. It's not just what you do on Amazon's website. It's also all the other places where you're browsing, where Amazon is an advertiser. Um, and they're using that information, not just to target you on Amazon, but also to target you um, through ads in other places too. Yeah, and and the company that you founded, Proton AI, this is your product where you go out to distributors and you put in place software that helps them take advantage of the same kinds of data, right? So you can go and you have sold this to many distributors where they either on their website or in their customer service environment, uh, if a customer buys one thing, the software will analyze data about them and suggest others. Is that how it works? That's exactly right. So the application of sort of AI-powered product recommendations for distributors, it looks a little bit different than it does for Amazon in the B2C environment. Um, and that's just because distributors don't just sell online. Um, and so the way that we think about applying this particular lesson to distribution um, is enabling sort of the omni-channel experience, so omni-channel personalization. So um, using the same sort of underlying technology to figure out what customers' preferences are. So what do, what do our customers want to buy? Using data from all the different sources that distributors have. So some of that might be online data, but it's also a lot of offline data. Like what are your reps talking about with your customers? Um, you know, um, what, are, what are your customers buying? Um, you know, there's, there's sort of other sort of firmographic data you can use. So the same underlying engine, figuring out kind of what customers want. And then in the distribution world, you've got to enable the e-commerce site like Amazon does with sort of personalization there, but you also want to enable all the other channels. So as you mentioned, customer service reps telling them, you know, what's upselling, cross-selling in real time based on this data, um, telling, helping inside reps figure out, you know, which customers to call, what to sell outbound to each company, um, and then outside reps the same, helping them figure out kind of where the underlying opportunities are within um, their book of business. But it's really the same sort of insight, which is use AI to figure out what customers want. And what kind of results are you seeing? Yeah, so we're seeing substantial um, increases across all the different channels that we're deployed in. So on e-commerce, you know, we see in some cases up to like 20 or 30% increase in revenue per customer. Wow. So that means like the over a set period of time, we, we do like a split test. So some customers get the recommendations and some don't. We see there is like customers both order more often, they come back more often, um, and their, their, their carts are bigger. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're selling four or five or six or a couple million items on your site, I mean, um, it's hard to find what you need. And so if you have recommendations to help guide you, um, there's a substantial lift there. And then um, in customer service, we typically see about a 10% increase in revenue uh, per order, so uh, sort of average order value. Um, and then on inside sales, it's a little bit harder to measure exactly the uplift, but we're typically seeing, um, you know, we, we, we measure like the revenue per product pitch. So when an inside sales rep reaches out to a customer, how, uh, at what rate does that convert relative to what they were doing before? And um, there we've seen like roughly a, an order of magnitude increase. So a 10 times increase in conversion. Um, oh. So substantial um, increases there too. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think, you know, one of the things we've talked about in marketing over the years is that uh, the golden rule of marketing is to send relevant offers out to targeted customers. And what you're doing here is you're 
hugely raising the relevancy based on data, right? Because you probably know what these customers need in some cases better than they know themselves, right? So yesterday I bought a leaf blower, but forgot the leaf bags, right? That probably would not have happened if I'd had an AI powered clerk helping me at Lowe's. Um, and that that would have been from their perspective, an additional sale from my perspective, a real customer service, because now I got to go back to Lowe's and get leaf bags, right? So that, and I'm not bashing Lowe's because most people don't, have that capability but that is the kind of thing that where it really is the customer service it's not just a nice to have or a, a way to increase sales oh there's no question i mean this this is all about adding value to the customer so i, I feel like we talk about it because the, the numbers are so substantial but um having the having recommendations on on your site or you know all these other channels is a huge value for the end customer like isn't, you know, my family business in dental, if a dentist runs out of something, uh, they have to stop their practice uh, that's until they get the supplies they need. If we can proactively tell them before they run out, hey, you need something, I mean, that's a huge value for the dentist. Like, it makes sense they would want to order from, uh, from Benjo. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agreed. And, uh, you know, all because you're drilling down into the data. Uh, sorry. I don't have very many. I got to throw them out when I can. Time here, Ian. <laughs> I should tell everyone who's dialed in. We got a good crowd today. That if you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, please use the Q and A or the chat features. Uh, a lot of times we get a lot of good comments. It's very interesting. It enriches the discussion and helps you be part of the dialogue. You ready to move on to secret number two, Benj? Whatever. Okay. Let's see here. I got to click the right button. All right, so this is whoops. I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, mouse happy. Mouse in a uh, disable or or challenge today. Let's see here. Where am I? There, right there. Okay. Um, all right. So AI enhanced search relevancy. So this shows that whatever this chart means, uh, Amazon's three times better at it, or two and a half times better at it than Walmart. So tell us what what's what, what what's the intuition behind this, Benj? Yeah. So Amazon has spent a ton of um, money and time optimizing their search results. So when you go on Amazon, you're much more likely to find what you're actually looking for when you type something into the search bar. And this seems sort of like an obvious point. Like, of course, if you search for something, you want to you wanna get relevant results. But tuning this up is extremely difficult. Um, and so I'll give you kind of a, a simple example um, of where Amazon is, is sort of way ahead of, of other folks in the B2C space. Um, and then I'll give you some stats on it too. So um, if you go to Amazon's website and search for Allbirds, which is a type of, excuse me, direct consumer wool shoe, um, Amazon doesn't sell it. Walmart doesn't sell it. You can only buy it on Allbirds website. If you go on Amazon and search Allbirds, you will see results for Amazon's private label version of the Allbirds shoe. Hmm. If you search Allbirds on Walmart, you will get bird cages. Um, and so that's just a simple example of returning relevant results um, based on what a customer is actually looking for. And in the B2B world, I mean, there's all kinds of lingo for different parts and, and pieces that um, distributors sell. It's important that you actually sort of capture that and actually deliver relevant results every time someone searches for something. And so the impact of this is substantial. I mean, so um, search conversion on Amazon is 13%. So when someone searches the folks are buying at a rate of 13% versus other sites are at 3%. So, um, you know, it's four times, roughly four times better in terms of actually converting to a sale. Um, and, you know, they're investing heavily in this area. They have 800 um, search relevancy engineers um, versus sort of Granger, as an example, has eight. So sort of two orders of magnitude more engineers working on this problem. And really what it's all about is figuring out when you when a customer searches for something, how do you match the most relevant um, item item to what they're searching? Um, so understanding really understanding customer intent um, and being able to find the products that customers actually want to buy and and servicing them right away. So okay, got it. And I mean that that obviously is a huge part of the selling process is you got to find the item right now. Jonathan, you've been working on AI and around AI for a long time. What's been the what has suddenly enabled this huge improvement in AI across industries? Because 
for a long time, it was, I mean, I wouldn't say it was cute. That's not fair. But the applications were relatively limited and the impact was relatively small. Now, I mean, we've got autonomous drones. We've got this incredible amount of AI-driven search and there's AI-driven marketing. What's 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 enabled this incredible skyrocketing increase in the effectiveness of AI? It's really two things. I think one, a lot of us would understand, which is the increase in compute power. Okay. Um, when I was doing AI in the 80s, I was one of the first AI people in Colorado. Um, compared to now, there is literally 4 million times as much power in a CPU now than there was oh, when God. I was doing stuff in the 80s. Man. So, so that's the 1980s you're talking about, right? Uh, I have to get back to you on that. Um, so, so that's one thing. But then the, the, the other thing is that um, there's just been a maturation in doing work with, with the AI-based algorithms. I mean, I was okay. doing neural network research in the 80s um, and published some stuff. You know, we've, we've now got 35 or 40 years more experience doing these things. Um, so the, the combination of the two, in one sense, the, the compute power fuels the ability to develop uh, more, more complex algorithms. So, And Benj, the thing about AI is it gets smarter on its own, right? I mean, that's the distinguishing feature versus other technologies. Is that a fair, is that oversimplified or is that a fair synopsis? No, I think that's exactly right. And that's, that's one of the reasons why the technology, the value that technology adds grows exponentially versus other technologies which grow sort of more linearly. Um, because with every additional data point, as I mentioned about folks searching on Amazon, the more people that are using Amazon's website, the smarter Amazon's website gets, the more value the AI um, generates. Um, and so that like self-learning component is the key and, and, and is why AI is like, is different than for example, e-commerce was in distribution. So let me ask you this, given that AI is data driven and the more data, the, you know, I mean, assuming that everyone had the same quality algorithms, then the more data means that or the more data you have, the more likely you are to win in the long run. Is that fair? That's exactly right. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why it's so important for folks to move on this opportunity quickly, because the, the real, like the long-term advantage here is not, in my opinion, the algorithms. I mean, there are certain, today there's a pretty big difference between sort of good AI and, and not as good AI. That will shrink over time. The real value is going to be um, how do you bring, like, the, the, we, we think there's two, there's two long-term drivers of value. One is the data. So you got to be collecting as much data as quickly as you can. And by the way, every person that browses your website who you're not collecting data from, you can never go back and recollect that. So you've lost that potential advantage. Right. Um, and, you know, for us, for our customers, we see our customers collecting about 10 times as much data um, when they start working with us as they were before. So that's one advantage, uh, sort of sustainable long-term advantage. The other sustainable long-term advantage is actually getting this integrated into your workflow. So, you know, on Amazon, Amazon has sort of mastered this, right? They've got these unbelievably successful applications of AI in the workflow of their users. Um, the, that, that is a long-term advantage. Um, and the same is true for distributors, right? If you can actually do the change management to successfully embed this technology into your REF's workflow, um, that's a sustainable advantage um, for the long term. I, I agree with you that the actual algorithms themselves, you know, there's going to be differences, but you're going to start to see things converge there. So given that uh, Amazon is so much larger than anyone else, at least, I mean, particularly in terms of online volume, because whatever their scale advantages over distributors overall, if you're just comparing the stuff, the data that you could put into AI, which is primarily online ordering, um, not exclusively, but primarily, then Amazon's got this incredible scale advantage of data. So it, just as this just occurred to me in the moment, but is there a role for you and your company to play in pooling data across a wide variety of distributors, you know, almost like a co-op of data and then feeding it back to everyone. So to try to close the scale gap in B2B between Amazon business and the distribution world. hundred um, percent. And so I can tell you a simple example of how we do that today. So um, one of the features in our product um, basically generates a pitch. So, 
so you know we're making recommendations for reps to actually talk to customers about things about products. Those products, um, the customer may or may not be um, the rep may may or may not be familiar with those products. So we use um, natural language processing AI to figure out what um, sort of how a rep should pitch a product to a particular customer. Um, and so those natural language models require like lots of scale, so lots of um, textual data to actually learn from. And so we do is we actually learn the baseline model learns across all of our customers' product data um, and okay. uses that to generate um, pitches. And so 100%, there's, there's definitely an opportunity there um, to sort of, in, in, a, in a way that is not, you know, we obviously can't be taking, we would never take transaction data or customer data from one company and, you know, use it to learn to, to inform another company. But in cases like the product information, where it's sort of de-identified and, 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 and not specific, I think there are definitely opportunities to learn across, um, across the, across industry even, right? So the, the way these models work is we can use dental product data to make industrial um, pitch points or pitch suggestions better, um, which is cool. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that distribution leaders need to come to grips with is that Amazon does not compete with individual companies. Amazon competes with industries. Amazon business is not a problem for any particular distributor as much as it's a problem for the entire industry. And it's going to take industry solutions to fight back. And so the same distributors who might be afraid that hey, some of my data might make its way into a competitor's recommendations. Those distributors are selling on Amazon business today and giving them their data that they need to potentially put the distributor out of business. Amazon business is such a smarter and more sophisticated company with data than any distributor that you've competed with, if you're a distributor, that it's silly to worry about sharing this kind of anonymized data with other distributors that can benefit everybody if you are selling on Amazon business because you have already surrendered your data to the most lethal competitor out there. At You're least feeding the beast. You really are. Yeah. And, and so, it's funny. Go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, no, go ahead, Ian, please. Well, I was just going to say over the weekend, I spent a lot of time looking at which manufacturers sell directly on marketplaces and which distributors sell on marketplaces. And so I'm on Amazon business and uh, I'm looking up some items and there are a lot of items where it says this item shipped by Amazon, but comes from ABC Industrial because they're using fulfillment by Amazon. I, I, got, I got something from Walmart through Amazon. Right. So what value is that intermediary adding? I mean, if Amazon's stocking the inventory, they're doing the picking and the packing and the shipping, and they're creating the demand to begin with, then the only role, the only way that distributors adding value is they're paying Amazon's working capital cost for to carry the inventory. Right. And all Amazon needs to do is the next PO they send out for that product, instead of sending it to the distributor, they send it to the manufacturer. They go direct, they take that 20, 30 points of margin uh, and put it in their pockets, and they take that distributor out of the equation. The supplier probably won't care. The customer definitely won't care, and Amazon makes more money. What is the value add if you've surrendered all of your value-added functions over to Amazon? We've definitely we've definitely had that discussion before, um, and it, it definitely limits your value. I think in terms of what what Benj is showing here, um, in terms of search, there are many distributors who have site search that's very limited, and that yeah. is that is certainly a sales prevention technique, right? If people cannot find what they need on your website, even worse, if they know you have it, they bought it from you, they're going to search, and it doesn't come up in the search engine. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a no-go deal. So Benj, what I would ask you is, you know, Amazon is clearly not using some off the shelf search engine. Are there search engines that are starting to incorporate, uh, are there on-site search engines that are starting to incorporate this AI enhanced search relevancy? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, there are definitely sort of search providers that you can, you can buy that are doing some of this search relevancy stuff. I think it, the thing about it is that it's a little bit company specific. So depending on what you sell, um, you're going to have to tune up these algorithms um, for, for your own products um, and use sort of your, um, your search data to, to train them. Um, but there definitely are there. I mean, there's, you know, a number of providers out there like Algolia is an example. 
of a startup that's that's doing um, search for e-commerce sites and they do a great job. It's really fast. Um, and so, you know, there, there are lots of providers, but I think the search problem specifically um, requires some sort of domain expertise as an input as well. Yeah. I mean, look, if you want to compete in the future, you're going to have to build your own technology. I mean, you, you may, uh, don't get me wrong, you're not going to develop it yourself, but you need to go to Proton AI and other providers and get that technology in place. Because if you're relying in the example that I gave on Amazon's technology, eventually they're going to want to take the value for that investment and not hand it over to you. And so you've got to get technologically sophisticated. Ready to move on? Definitely agree. All right. Ready. So uh, let's see, AI enhanced audience. Uh, so we're looking at a chart that shows a growth from about 3 billion in 2016 to 58 billion in 2023. Um, what is this data telling us, Benj? Yeah, so this is about, uh, this is showing the sort of amount of money that Amazon is making um, from advertising, from their advertising business. Mm -hmm. So. Um, what Amazon's doing is when you're searching and browsing on Amazon and on other sites, um, their folks are paying to have their results show up first. So when you search for something, you'll see um, initially sort of sponsored results. When you go on the Amazon homepage, you'll see sponsored um, placements. When you go on a product, when you go on a product details page, you'll see a bunch of sponsored placements as well. And so Amazon is actually is making a ton of money, um, and this is one of their fastest growing one of the fastest growing pieces of their business, um, basically selling, monetizing the audience that they have. Um, and this goes back to your point, Ian, that you were just talking about why distributors should not sell through Amazon. The value here, the value in, 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 any, of these, in any business that sells physical products is the audience, the people who come to you first to find what they need. Um, and so whether that's coming to your reps or coming to your website, really owning and being able to generate demand is where the value is. And these numbers show it. So, um, you know, if, if, Am if this piece of Amazon's business continues to grow um, at the pace that it's growing at um, and the margins on the sort of pick, pack, and ship side of the business, first party selling uh, business stay, stay about the same, that Amazon will make more profit from monetizing their audience than they will from selling products. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, people are going to Amazon first. That's the, the, the first place people look when they want to buy something is Amazon. So that's the best place to advertise. Um, and it turns out that sort of just to give you guys a sense of, of how powerful it is to have a single place where you look for products, advertise products, and buy products, Amazon ads convert at like about 20 to 30% versus Facebook at 1 to 10%. So it's, it's almost an order of magnitude higher in terms of conversion to sale. Um, and it's, it's really about they own the audience and they sell the products and, and, and they're doing that together. And so, um, you know, there's, this is in my mind, this is like a, we're not talking enough about this. This is a huge, uh, long-term potential revenue source for distributors. If, if we can figure out how to do the same thing and have to talk a little bit about kind of how I see distributors being able to enable this. Um, but, but this is like a 10 to 15% margin boosting opportunity in the next couple of years. So I have conflicted emotions about this because as a longtime marketer and distribution executive, I'd love to get revenue this way. Uh, one thing that bothers me is that this is one of the only things Amazon does where it's clearly not in the best interest of the customer. I mean, the, the, they're not, you know, you have to go and choose customer rating ranking. Uh, that's not the default when you go in there. And I have to remind myself of that every time because I see a lot of sponsored products uh, and I'm not always sure that it's really the best product. I know that someone's paying for it. So I guess, you know, gosh, I mean, you look at these tens of billions of dollars, there's no way you could turn that down. But it does concern me that this is, you know, Amazon has mostly been about trying to do things that are good for the customer and good for them. This is clearly not optimal for the customer because this is not based on anything but somebody paying to promote the item. Um I'm not saying I wouldn't do it because you look at $50 billion and you go, well, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty good day's wages. Right. Um, but I do know. So for example, we just got a, a someone, a friend of ours named Keith has, has sent a note saying that, you know, he's building a, a marketplace called Sidlar S Y D L A R and it's ad free and there's no pay to placement. Um, and uh, you know, it's a little bit of a commercial for Sidlar, but he's got a point, right? So, 
is this as much as I think distributors probably should do something like this? Is this a potential vulnerability from for Amazon if somebody else comes out and says we do not bias our search results with advertising? It is strictly based on you know fit, purpose, and customer ratings. Yeah, I mean, so I think that it, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it is definitely a potential risk. I do think, though, that the smarter the AI is, the less of a risk it actually is, right? So it's really a risk if you go on Amazon and search for headphones and they show you ads for a couch. You're like, what? I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for a couch. I'm looking for headphones. Right. But if you go on Amazon and you're like, you know, you're not sure if you want Bose or Beats, and Bose happens to sponsor a post and you click on the Bose result, is that actually worse for you as a customer if you're sort of agnostic between two choices? Okay. And I think that sort of agnostic, like brand agnostic feeling happens probably a lot um, in a lot of different places, right? I mean, you're searching for gloves in the industrial context. A lot of people make gloves. Maybe you like a certain brand or, you know, a certain type, but, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a, a placement for something uh, a, a different type of glove that you didn't, uh, you may not have heard of, but it's relevant and it's actually of interest. I'm actually not sure that it's that it's that much worse for the customer experience. Okay. Um, I don't know. So, that's just my take. So, so this is a a re um, this is a do over of the debate that that happened around Google many years ago, right? Mm -hmm. They had the organic search results and then they had the paid search results, and. and there was outrage and contention and discussion around Google biasing the organic search results. And so they eventually separated the two. So maybe Amazon's going to end up doing a similar type of move. I think they do, though. I mean, it's, it's, it does say sponsored, doesn't it? It's separated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. That's, that's a fair answer. And I, I think, you know, the, one of the things that I've seen as an area for opportunity for many distributors is getting more marketing co-op from their suppliers, or even better, or just as good, using their marketing co-op in a much smarter way, instead of just buying, you know, t-shirts and golf balls and other trinkets and trash for the sales force. Not that the sales force doesn't need that stuff, but it can be a bottomless pit. Uh, and you also can't measure the return on it, but you can measure the return on this. And so if you have a pretty robust website, uh, then this seems like a great way to go and get co-op dollars from manufacturers because you can literally show them the sales lift and the return in a way that's much more precise than most things that distributor marketing departments do. Is that right? That's exactly right. And it's not just about the website. You can do this across all your channels. And so that's why the first step in our mind is you've got to enable the sort of omni-channel experience, omni-channel personalization first. You've got to enable all your channels with sort of AI-driven suggestion. And then once you do that, then you can go back to your vendors and say, hey, when we have a customer on the phone who's likely to buy gloves, do you want us to show your gloves or someone else's gloves? And you can actually have folks start to bid on, start to bid on that opportunity. Um, and so that's sort of where we're headed in the long run is opening up this new revenue source for distributors, allowing uh, manufacturers to be able to bid on opportunities within the distributor's customer base, if that makes sense. Got it. All right, so these are the but three, it, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it all starts, we, we first got to successfully enable all the different channels, um, sort of the product, secret number one, turn on secret number one to unlock secret number three. Got it. All right, and 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 in a nutshell, what's the range of services that you offer at uh, Proton AI, Benz? This is your time to give us a commercial, but I will say that we have uh, worked with clients who have implemented uh, Proton AI, Benz's company's services, and they... I, we can attest to the returns that he's that he's talking about, but give us a little snapshot uh, one more time, Benj. Yeah, for sure. So um, we are focused on helping distributors turn on sort of the omni-channel personalization engine that we've been talking about. So what we do is we pull in data from all the distributor systems, so CRM, ERP, um, e-commerce, PIM, put that into one central repository. So all the data is in one place. Then we use AI to learn on top of that data to figure out what customers want. And then we enable all of your sales channels um, with that data. So for e-commerce, that looks like personalization on the website, product recommendations there we've seen, you know, you know, anywhere from like 10 to 30% increase in revenue per customer. Um, for order taking reps, we'll tell those reps what to upsell and cross-sell in real time. 
make it super easy for them to actually do so in their workflow. That's key. You've got to be able to get good adoption. And then for outbound reps, um, we help those reps figure out, you know, which customers to talk to and then what to sell to each customer. So where the opportunities are. Um, and um, what's so cool about what we're doing, I think, is that um, reps actually like the software because it adds value to them. And so, you know, we're seeing um, with, you know, inside sales teams, these are inside sales teams where it's like impossible to deploy software, like 97% daily active usage of the software within a, just a couple of weeks. Um, and so, um, it's, you know, it actually, it actually works and adds value for reps. Um, and so that's why we're getting really good adoption there too. So does that make sense in terms of the yeah. range? I'll tell you, look, this is the secret of CRM implementation that I have learned over the years. Just my opinion. If you build your CRM with the objective of getting your customer-facing personnel to put information into it, it will fail. If you build your CRM with the intention of giving your customer-facing people information that they can take out of it, that's valuable to them, your CRM, your CRM implementation will succeed. Now, over time, as they get experience with it and as they appreciate it and as they get to know it, they'll start entering information. But if your objective up front is about control and about getting them to put data in, it will fail. And I, I tell you, that little simple secret to me has been a big, big deal in understanding if and when CRM implementations are going to succeed. If, uh, we do have a question about, from the audience. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, if, if you think about what a CRM system should do, it should tell you whom to call, what to sell, and when to do it. And that's exactly what the content from Benj's system does. It, it's, it's a W3. It's a who, what, when, right? Yep. That's what a CRM system should do. Most CRM systems are passive, Ian, to your point. Yep. They're, they're forcing you to, to say, here's who I'm going to call. Figures, you, you have to figure out when you're going to call them. So you create a task. You figure out what to sell. Um, that's putting information into the system. And, and this type of AI is getting information from the system. That's what a CRM system should do. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. And and that's not how they're mostly designed. It's a it's the electronic version of call reports. Call that that's you're too young to know this, Benj, but years and years ago they would have sales reps fill out forms about here's who I called on today. I mean, they remember when they were like three to three by five cards and, and reps hated it and they resented it. And by the way, the good ones just refused to do it and the bad ones lied. So you just it was useless, right? Uh, we do have a question from Joe, good friend of the show, uh, and he's he's asking you, Benj, what is the minimum revenue volume you need to be running through your website to fund or buy into your product? Is it five million, ten million? Yeah. So we usually say we like to give a ten x return at least, um, mm -hmm. and so you can get ten x return. Like we're certain of that at about ten million in volume. Um, but um, we do have customers who have lower volumes and do get high returns. I mean, the range of, of increase can be, as I said, some folks get 10% and some folks, I mean, we just, we just ran uh, the last, the first three or four weeks with this, with this new customer, we're at 40% increase um, in revenue wow. per customer. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you have a small site, a 40% increase is still substantial. Um, and so, um, it depends on exactly the list, but we our cutoff is usually about ten million, where we can say certainly we can give you a ten x return. But but Joe, I think the other piece is that if you combine the a the um, e commerce side of things with the rep side of things, then even if the e commerce side of things is smaller, you can still make it a workable thing. So if you think about your customer service reps, which is really how we first heard about Benj, we heard about it from a common client who deployed this with customer service reps and was seeing $100,000 lift per rep per year. Um, so think about um, the, the customer facing rep side of things in addition to the e-commerce. We have a question here from Greg Chun. Uh, um, he says, how does the deliverable of Proton AI differ from the many marketing automation packages out there? Um, so what I would Definitely. say, okay. you want to take that one, Bench? You take it, Jonathan. Okay, because you know I, you know I love marketing automation. Um, I know. Greg, what I would say is that um, the Proton AI would work in conjunction with marketing automation. 
Um, so if you think about marketing automation as a kind of a transport mechanism to get content to people and then to track that in various ways, uh, you could you would have um, Proton AI feeding marketing automation. It could be Marketo, HubSpot, you know, uh, Acton, Eloqua, whatever you're using, um, and that's a that's a powerful uh, integration with with the Proton AI analytics and marketing automation. Right. Okay. So you, you're saying that most marketing automation platforms aren't suggesting in the transaction substitute or complementary items. They're the, this would be a mechanism for delivering that information that you got from Proton AI, or you get better. Correct. I'm, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 using marketing automation not as intelligence or analytics, but really as transport. So you're able to deliver content that you can track. So and that's a. You, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, sorry. So Ben's uh, question then that brings up a question: How do you present the data to the salesperson or the inside sales rep? Or on the website, are you integrated into the ERP? Is it an app that runs on top of the software? I mean, what does it look like to the customer service rep or the ISR? Yeah, certainly. So where we're headed um, is basically because we're pulling in all the data from all the different systems, our Proton, the Proton screen can be the single pane of glass. So the only system you need to figure out who to call, what to sell, um, et cetera. So that's what it looks like for the inside and outside sales rep. The only system they need, this is where they enter their notes. We can tie in on the back end to your CRM if you still want to use a CRM as a database. You know, we can pipe all the data in real time between the systems, but really having one system that reps can use, that reps love using. That's what it looks like for inside and outside sales. For customer service, today what it looks like is folks have one screen with Proton and one screen with their order entry system, so their ERP system, um, and they're using uh, Proton to make, to make suggestions and then um, keying the order into their ERP. And then for digital channels, so e-commerce and marketing, um, we've got a set of APIs that integrate in with the different systems. So um, the distributor on the website controls the look and feel of the site. We just plug our suggestions in. So when a customer loads a page, the website calls to our system and says, what should we show? We tell you what to show, and then you display it on the site. Um, and we've got integrations with um, uh, a number of platforms um, in the e-commerce space. And then um, in the marketing world, um, as Jonathan, Jonathan said, if you're running a campaign and you want to personalize the content in that campaign, you can use our APIs to do that. So the marketing automation system takes care of, um, you know, sending the email to the customer and sort of tracking that. And then that, that data gets fed back into our system, but we're in charge of figuring out what content um, belongs in any given email to any given customer. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Did you want to? So you have a you have a uh, we have one more slide here before we get to the end. Um, and I think, oops, I think that's just a summary. Or did you want to? We actually had another anything? question from Joe. Oh, okay, go ahead. So, um, question is, where does the AI learning come from? Um, our history, industry trends. Um, so I think. You kind of answered that. I mean, the main inputs are going to be ERP data or transaction data, PIM data. Um, anything else you throw at it makes it even better. CRM data, marketing automation data, right? Yeah, along with um, sort of any like, we've got our own sort of firm grasping demographic data that we throw in there. And then if a lot of, depending on the market, some companies have their own data that, that we can use as well. Um, so, you know, in the dental world, you can get insurance data that tells you, um, you know, what procedures dentists are doing. You can use that to learn, to learn from. So really like as much data as we can get about the company is a helpful input. Got it. Okay. So on the left, you, uh, there's a slide here and on the left, you've got the three types of AI we're talking about, right? So you've got AI powered product suggestions AI enhanced search relevancy and AI enhanced audience monetization or advertising. Um, and the application on the right, this is your application or this is how Amazon does it? Uh, so on the left-hand side, the secret, that's sort of what Amazon does. And then the application is kind of what this looks like for distributors. So AI-powered product recommendations, which generate you know $50 billion for Amazon, the sort of distribution translation of that is not exactly AI-powered recommendations on the website. It's really enabling the omni-channel Right. experience 
um, where you're personalizing and, and using AI to figure out kind of what your reps should be talking about, what your order taking reps should be talking about, and doing personalization on the website and sort of tying all these channels together. Um, the second one is AI enhanced search relevancy. So that was, you know, using AI to figure out um, what uh, the most relevant return, uh, what the most relevant product is based on what someone's searching for. Distributors can do the same thing on the website, but it's also about using that same information to enable your sales reps. Because it's a big challenge that we've seen uh, is reps have trouble finding the products they want in the catalog. Um, and so it's not just about enabling on the online experience, it's also about enabling the offline experience. Um, and the third one is the AI-enhanced audience monetization, which is really about uh, Amazon's ad business, um, which is growing really fast and will eventually, I think, be bigger than their first-party sales um, in terms of profit. Um, and so the, the distribution sort of translation there is, you know, first you've got to do this sort of omnichannel personalization thing, and then you can start um, monetizing this back to your vendors and going back to your vendors and asking for um, sort of more targeted dollars to sell their products through um, through your business. Um, and, and we think this is a really exciting long-term opportunity for distributors. Got it. And you've got a white paper there. I assume that is available on your website. Yes. Uh, and I think we're going to email it out a link to the to landing page for that too, too so everyone can act, get access to that. Okay, got it. So uh, on the right-hand side, you can see Benj's uh, contact information. It's Benj at Proton.ai. That's B-E-N-J at Proton.ai. Uh, and uh, if you want to reach Jonathan or I, you can reach us at distributionstrategy.com. That's distributionstrategy.com. Uh, we do this show, the Wholesale Change Show, which is live on Wednesdays at 9 o'clock Eastern. Um, excuse me, those are reversed. 12, 12 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Pacific. I need less brandy in my coffee in the morning when I do these slides. Um, and uh, if you want to hear more about how technology is transforming the world, including AI, please go to naw.org and in the top rotating banner or at the hash or at the uh, URL, new.org slash how tech will transform. You'll see that we are in the middle of a seven part series of research reports and webinars on how technology is transforming wholesale distribution. Uh, because of the work that we do, we run into Benj all the time, whether it's at conferences or uh, on stage sometimes. So he's a good friend of distribution uh, strategy group. We're delighted to have him on the show. Benj, thank you so much. Any last words for our audience before we say goodbye today? No, I mean, thank you so much for having me. It's always good to talk about AI and have chat chat with you guys. So thanks so much for having me. Um, and yeah, looking forward to talking to folks about AI. Feel free to reach out. Um, love talking about this stuff and, and helping distributors win with the technology. So looking forward to uh, to chatting. I, I can't imagine there are many distributors who are on this uh, part of this conversation today, Ben, who are going to reach out because they've got so much to learn. Uh, and if they're not ready for what you guys do today, they they will be soon and they need to be. So, uh, Jonathan, Benj, thank you so much. As, as always, it's a great pleasure uh, to uh, be with both of you. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Wholesale Change webcast and podcast. Goodbye, everybody.